Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Well, I'm saddened that uh, we don't have the baptism today, but uh, Lord willing, we'll be back in March, and we can uh, rejoice then as well. Uh, that the privilege to be on vacation uh, during Christmas break, and I was going through parts of Revelation, especially 12, 13, and just want to share with you some of the thoughts from there. Usually, uh, Revelation 13 is not something you preach on. But, you know, it's more of a Bible study today because it is God's Word. And I think it's very uh, relevant. And so there may be parts of it we'll just fly through. And if, if some of you would say, oh, I want to just dig, dig deeper into it. That's why you have, uh, you know, Pastor Jeff and Elders Askia and, and, and uh, Ron. You can definitely talk to them. They'll, they'll take you much deeper into the nitty-gritty parts of it. But I want us to step back today and just see the big picture, if that's okay with you. And in order to do that, let's ask the Holy Spirit to lead us as we open his word today. Let's pray. Gracious Father, what a privilege for us to come together and worship you. We thank you for your love, your goodness, your care. And we ask that you'll be with those who couldn't be in our midst today. We pray that they may sense the presence of your Sabbath. May angels be near them. May your spirit be with them. And may your spirit bring healing upon each one. We ask that the Holy Spirit may be in our midst today. That you bring healing to us. Whether it is physically, emotionally, but most of all spiritually. We want to see Jesus uplifted. And may he be before us today, even as we go into Revelation 13, our focus is not the enemy, our focus is the Lamb. Help us to be uplifted by Jesus today. And as we see Him, may we be drawn to Him, but most of all, may we become more like Jesus. May we have His name written upon our foreheads, in our minds, in our hearts. May we be focused on Jesus, walk with Jesus live for Jesus. May he be all to us is our prayer in his precious name. Amen. Have you ever been deceived? You know, be honest. You know, if you say no, there's your deception right there. <laughs> Just recently, while I was on vacation with the family, we were down in Florida and uh, palm trees, sunshine. Anyway, I got digressed a bit, but anyway, you know, well, my, my daughter had, has a banquet coming up, eighth grade banquet, and, and so we went to the mall there to look for a dress. And, and while we're there, my, my son's been begging me for, for an upgrade on his phone. He has an old phone. It's starting not to work. It's not charging. And I put it off as long as I could. And so we have a carrier, and, and it was there, and, and we went in. And, and to make a long story short, I was deceived. And it took me longer than ever to finally make things right recently. And it doesn't feel good to be deceived. To the point where we dropped the care and I said, I'm going with a different care. I don't care. It's time to move on. But you know, the reason I bring that up is because sometimes people tell us they're kind. They tell us what we want to hear. And, and so we want to believe them. And that's exactly what it comes down to in the book of Revelation. When you study Revelation, the enemy has a two-pronged way of, of, of uh, attacking uh, the world. Number one is deception. 
And where he cannot deceive, number two is coercion. And so those are the two, two ways the enemy attacks. He will try to deceive the world. If he can't deceive the world, he will then force the world. And when you read through the scriptures, you will notice that over and over again. It begins with deception, if they're not deceived. So as we live in the times that we're living in today, we realize that we're in the information age. You know, you can't help but to get on your uh, tiny little computer and you have so much information coming at you. I mean, you know, I've been on there trying to figure things out of, is it okay to take the vaccine or not? Is it this and that? And you will find so much information. It made me walk away with the idea of Matthew 24, 24, that in the last days, the enemy will as much as possible deceive even the very elect. Because you have so much coming at you. And the question is, where do you turn? And of course, the answer is you turn where? To the Word of God. And so what we want to do today is step back, away from social media, away from uh, uh, what people speak, and let's ask God to speak through His Word and to give us the big picture and allow that through the big picture we may see where God is working and where the enemy is working. Revelation chapters 12, 13, and 14 go together. Revelation chapter 12, if you go, there's the context of Revelation 13. You can't have Revelation 13 without Revelation 12. All right, that makes sense. It's almost like asking what comes after 12, 13. All right, so Revelation chapter 12 is the context. It really is the overview of the great controversy. It begins with this woman who is pure, representing the people of God, God's faithful people. Then we are met with this baby born, whom then the dragon tries to destroy. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The devil tries to do what? Destroy and kill him through King Herod, right? And then... We're not told much about the baby other than it is caught up to heaven and the enemy is angry. He couldn't destroy the baby. And so he takes his anger out on whom? The woman. And he goes after the woman. But you'll notice here that as he goes after the woman, verse 13, the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time. That seems to be a very prevalent time period, also known as 42 months or 1,260 days. All right, but you notice that the serpent spewed water out of his mouth, verse 15, like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman. Keep that in mind. What helps the woman? The earth. Now, if we go back into history, we understand that during the medieval ages, the devil tries to dis- destroy God's faithful people, like the Waldenses and so on. What helped them? It was the sparse places of the world, where they would be out into the mountains, the caves, and they were able to continue to serve God. The earth helped The woman. Keep that in mind as we go to Revelation 12. But then verse 17. The dragon was enraged with the woman because he can't destroy her. And went to make war with the rest of her offspring, also known as the remnant of her offspring. Those are the people who are living in the end of times. 
Now notice, it doesn't say he goes to make war with the woman. He goes to make war with the remnant. Uh, This woman who has been faithful when you go to Revelation 17 has turned into a harlot now. And the only ones that remain faithful are the remnant. And they have two characteristics. Their identification are known here. That's important for us. Notice they do what? They keep the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus, which according to Revelation 19.10 is the spirit of prophecy. And so, number one, they are obedient. Now, if you don't think that's important, just go over to Revelation 14, verse 12, because there it says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that do what? All right, so God's end-time people will be obedient. And so, between Revelation 13, where it talks about the dragon and his allies, you have first God's faithful who are obedient, and then... After that, God's faithful who are obedient. They keep the commandments of God. Remember that. I think that's very key. And then what you find here is that they, uh, they have the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. And in other words, they follow the gift of prophecy, which was given to Moses, which was given to Joshua, which was given to Daniel, which was given to, and God's end time people, given to Ellen G. White. And so on. So they follow God's word as he shares it with his prophets, right? Now, that leads us into chapter 13. In chapter 13, verse 1. And we're going to quickly go through chapter 13 and step back and look at the big picture. I stood on the sand of the sea. Now, uh, you know, some older manuscripts say the dragon stood on the sand. Whether you want to say... John stood on the sand, or you want to go by older manuscripts, and some translations do say the dragon. I like to lean towards the fact that the dragon stood on the sand of the sea, calling forth his first ally. And right there, they, uh, Revelation 13 is, is composed of two chapters from the book of Daniel. You know Daniel and Revelation go well together. They're both prophecy books. And there are two chapters that you need to read through in Daniel in order to get Revelation 13. Those two chapters are, number one, Daniel chapter 7. And number two, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. So Daniel chapter 7 is all throughout here. First of all, the sea is found in Daniel chapter 7. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. That's Daniel 7 right there having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Well, seven heads represent seven nations that the, the enemy has used in order to fight God's people. You can count them. Egypt and Assyria and Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Papal Rome, and then, I mean, Pagan Rome and then Papal Rome. Seven heads. But then it says that it has ten horns, like the terrible beast of Daniel 7. And that horns represent political power. It has political power. But this also also has religious power because it speaks blasphemies against God. It has a blast. So we're talking about a power that is both political and religious. Now notice verse 2. Now the beast which I saw like a leopard, his feet like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, 
and the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Again, leopard, bear, lion reminds you of Daniel 7. When Daniel saw the vision, he first saw a lion, then he saw a bear, and then he saw a leopard. John down here, looking back the other way, sees the leopard, the bear, and the lion. Isn't that amazing how prophecy works? Wonderful. But notice that the dragon is trying hard to imitate God the Father. Because just as the dragon gave his authority to the sea beast, he wants to be like God the Father who gives authority to Jesus Christ. As in Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority is given unto me in heaven. And also we found that in Revelation chapter 2, that all authority is given to Jesus by the Father. Revelation 2.27. So, let's continue on at the big picture, verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. The first thing we note about this sea beast, this beast coming out of the sea, is it's trying to become like Jesus. Because the words there in the original language for mortally wound, it's slain, used for the lamb in Revelation chapter 5 verse 6. Just as the way the lamb was slain, so the sea beast experiences this fatal wound, this slainness. But just like Jesus was resurrected on the third day, so the sea beast is what? Healed. And what happens when he is healed? The world marvels and does what? Follows. And then we come to verse 4. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to make war with him? And of course, in that question, who is able to make war, the answer comes across so powerful, no one. But that question, who is like the beast? You know another name for Jesus that we are given in scriptures, Michael. What does the word Michael mean? Who is like God. And just like Jesus' name is who is like God, so the beast has a name, and that is who is like, yeah. He's trying so hard to be Jesus and to counterfeit Jesus and to deceive the world not to follow the lamb, but to follow the beast. And then it says in verse 5, And he was given a mouth, speaking great things, and what? Blasphemies. There it goes again. And he was given authority to continue 42 months. All right, 42 months is how many years? Three and a half years. Jesus' ministry on earth was how long? Just like Jesus' ministry was a literal three and a half years, this is a prophetic three and a half year ministry. As we know, this power is the same power as the little horn in Daniel chapter 7. The power that ruled in the medieval ages, the papal system, with his blasphemies and persecutions. But then it says here, Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy, verse 6, against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And that's what happened in the dark ages, is it not? And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Just as he receives authority 
from the dragon over every tribe, nation, and kindred, tongue, and people. So the gospel is to go where? Every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Do you see that? So both the message of the beast goes to every nation of the world, but so does the gospel. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. There it is, the true Lamb, who has truly been slain for our sins. Friends, when it comes down to the end times, which I believe we're nearing, there's only going to be two groups of people. There's going to be those who worship the beast or worship the Lamb. There is no middle ground. And either we choose to worship Christ and have our names written in his book, or we worship the beast. And we can worship the beast two ways. Either be deceived by the counterfeit or be coerced. But if we worship the Lamb, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And whatever happens, we are assured that one day we shall live with Jesus. Amen? And so, friends, here we go then into verse 9. Some people say, well, you know, parts of Revelation are hard to understand. We should stay away from it. Let's just stick to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I agree, we ought to stick to the Gospel. Wonderful places to get to know Jesus. But verse 9 says something. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. What does that mean? Well, do you have ears? We do. And there's a reason we have two ears and one mouth. All right? And, and the fact that right here, verse 9, it is the same thing told to every church in the seven churches, right? If you have an ear, hear. The message is this. In the last days, God's people are to open their hearts, minds, and ears to the word of God. It is a time to be awake. We must heed God's word, especially the book of Revelation. Now, verse 10. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. And here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Well, some have said that the first part of verse uh, 10 Ex, uh, stresses the experience of God's faithful. They will experience captivity. Some have said that the second uh, part ex, is the experience of the persecutors, those who kill, those who persecute God's faithful. God will deal with them. But what I want you to know, though, is in the last days, God's people will learn to be patient. Is it, a, it is a time for us as God's people to get into the word of God to come to learn to know Jesus and be patient. Now is not the time to get agitated, anxious, resentful, hateful. Now is the time to learn patience, trust, faith in Jesus. And may I say obedience to him. That's the call of God's people. Well, we're done with this system. You know, it is well replacing of the fact that the, the power that ruled in the medieval ages will come back in the end times again for a short period, this papal power. But then verse 11, we go and see another beast. 
Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. Now, the whole idea is this beast comes out later than the first beast. It comes out when that beast powers fatal wound is healed. So sometime in the 1700s or so, another beast comes up, and it comes up out of the earth. Now, remember in Revelation 12, the earth did what at first? It helped the woman. And so this is a beast that comes out that looks like a lamb, has two horns of a lamb, and it looks like it helps the woman. It helps God's people. It has a wonderful declaration of independence. It has a wonderful preamble of constitution. It stands for freedom and justice, right? It is to help. But then it speaks like what? Oh. John likes to do these things where he tells you about something, but when you look, it looks like something else, right? Like in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Let me tell you about the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when you look, what do you see? A lamb. Let me tell you about this earth beast. Oh, it's a lamb? No, it's a, it speaks like the dragon. All right. And then notice here what it does. It's a short identity. And we all recognize the superpower that came up in the 1700s. Verse 12. Notice what he does. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. There's something about the healing of this deadly wound that is powerful. That when uh, Napoleon's general, Berthier, takes the Pope captive in 1798, everybody thinks the system has fallen apart. And everyone's surprised how it has come back, and the world now marvels after it. But what you notice in this verse is just like the dragon tries to be like God the Father, and the sea beast, beast tries to be like Jesus, so this earth beast tries to be like the Holy Spirit and works hard. The counterfeit of the enemy is always to deceive people to turn away from God and to worship Him. And so there's God the Father, there's Jesus, there's the Holy Spirit. Oh, I have a trinity too. And I have the dragon, the sea beast, and the land beast. And the land beast does what the Holy Spirit always does. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus and uplifts Jesus. And this earth beast points everyone back to the sea beast and to worship the sea beast, right? And so we recognize the reality of the United States of America and prophecy. Now notice how he does it in verse 13. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. It reminds me of Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came down as tongues of fire. But it also reminds me of the gift of prophecy that Elijah had. You remember on Mount Carmel? When he called all of God's people to come back and worship the true God. Fire came down from heaven as a sign that he's the true God. And so this false prophet, because from now on, this land beast in the rest of the book of Revelation is known as the false prophet. And this false prophet does the same thing Elijah did and calls fire down from heaven. I think he does it not physically. Don't go out and look for 
fire to come, but he does it spiritually. And notice what happens, verse 14. And he, what's the next word? Deceives. That's what the devil's after. He is after to deceive those who dwell on the earth. By those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Now, one thing we know in the Old Testament is that images don't have breath in them. They're nothing. They can't hear. They can't see. They're powerless. But there's something about this image in the next verse. Verse 15. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now notice what happens if you're not deceived. Verse 16, he causes all. How many? Anyone exempt? No. No, both small and great. You may be small, you may be great. You're in this. Both rich and poor. You may be rich, you may be poor, you may be in between. You're in this. Free and slave. It doesn't matter what your social standing is in life. You're in this. You could be the president or the king. You could be a wealthy entrepreneur having your own business. Or you could be a homeless person, a houseless person. You are not exempt. All to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehands. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding. It's interesting. Wisdom and understanding. That's in Daniel chapter 12, right? God's people in the last days will have wisdom and understanding. Calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man. His number is 666. I can't tell you if you go to the internet how many different ideas are there about the mark. Where will it be put? What kind of chip is it? And this 666. And that's just within Seventh-day Adventism. Not to mention you open it up to the whole wide world. Great science fiction. But friends, let's keep the big picture in mind. This mark is not a physical mark. This mark represents, notice, the name of the beast. Because you find in chapter 14, verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. That's another name for God's faithful in the end times. And notice, they are sealed because they have the Father's name written on their foreheads. Is it on their hand too? No. Why is it you can get the mark both on the forehead or, or on the right hand, but you can only get the seal on your forehead. That's right. See, some will be deceived and receive the mark on their forehead. Some will be forced. And they will be forced by their circumstances saying, you know what, I don't believe this, but I'm going to go along with it because it's the easiest path in life right now. And so they'll accept it. There's no way to heaven through your works. It is only by having Christ's name. You know what the devil does is he is 
attacking God's commandments in Revelation 13. That's why God's people in Revelation 12, 17 keep the commandments. In Revelation 14, 12 keep the commandments because in Revelation 13, God's commandments are attacked. For example, the first commandment says what? You shall have no... you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, worship God only. And what do you find here in Revelation 13, verse 4? Notice, so they worship the dragon. Is that attacking the first commandment or what? What's the second commandment? You shall not make any... And yet, what do you have here in verse 15? He was granted power to give breath to the image. He attacks the second commandment. What's the third commandment? And what kind of name does he have? Blasphemous. Does he take God's name in vain? A blasphemous name. And what is the fourth commandment? How does he attack it here? It's the mark, is it not? It's the mark, it's his day. And so you have counterfeit commandments being set up. So then in the last days, let's step back because I've had so many people, even Seventh-day Adventists, looking at our time right now, trying to say we're in this mark of the beast and we're in this, and I'm like, whoa, 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 step back and look at the picture. While we're heading there, we're not there yet. No one has told me yet to stop worshiping on the Sabbath. No one has been coercing me so far. I haven't seen an image being set up yet. I haven't seen, but are we heading there? Yes. But I want us to keep something in mind that's very important. It says that you will either have the mark of the beast or the seal. And it is writing of the beast on your forehead or the father's name on the forehead. That represents the character all right? And so what we're talking about is either in character we become more like Jesus or more like the beast. You know, let me read to you just a couple of quotes and, and then I'm, I'm going to finish up. We're, we're coming to the end. And I hope I didn't confuse you more today, but I hope I, we just step back and look at the big picture. Notice I love this quote. It's taken from uh, Lift Him Up, March 25. The shortness of time is frequently urged and is an incentive for seeking righteousness and making Christ our friend. This should not be the great motive for us, for it savors of selfishness. Is it necessary that the terrors of the day of God should be held before us, that we may be compelled to right action through fear? It ought not to be so. I love these next three words. Jesus is attractive. He is full of love, mercy, compassion. He proposes to be our friend, to walk with us through all the rough pathways of life. Is, Is your pathway getting rougher? Is someone... Is someone there to walk with you? Is Jesus offering to be your friend? Is he attractive or repulsive? There's no one like Jesus. Oh, if we would just see a glimpse of him, of who he is, of his tenderness and compassion. 
You know, children love to flock to Jesus. They don't go to a repulsive, mean person. Sinners love to be in his presence. Jesus is attractive. And when you walk with Jesus, guess what happens? You become more like him. And his character is written upon you. But you've got to walk with him. You know what the devil's trying to do in these last days? Is trying to lead us away from spending time with Jesus. Even if it means spending time on internet trying to figure out what's going on, you're not spending time with Jesus. Um, and then, of course, I love the. Uh, Scripture reading that uh, was read for us in Second Thessalonians. Let's finish with those words. Second Thessalonians. Paul wraps up real well these words. Paul does a good job. All right. Notice here, Second Thessalonians. The coming of the lawless one. That's the sea beast, by the way. All right is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, right? And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Notice why. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Notice, it, Paul doesn't say they did not receive the truth. It's not about information. It's about the love of the truth. And may I also remind you that truth is not information. Jesus once said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, truth, and the life. So when we love the truth, we love who? Jesus. That's right. And so, verse 11, And for this reason, because they did not love and walk with Jesus... And love the truth as is in Jesus. For this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe what? A lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So if I step back a little bit and I say, whoa, what is going on in the world? And I try to get into the internet, so many voices hit me all over the place. I get more confused. What I need to do is step back Go to God's word, look at the big picture, and see that the dragon has two allies that he's working through. And he is working. And what he's doing is he's setting up his counterfeit system of worship. Where Jesus is out of the picture. And now you worship the beast and his command. But there's going to be a group of people in the last days who are doing something. They're on their knees. They're opening the word of God. They're communing with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And the only way to become like Jesus is not to work on it, but to hang out with him. Because by beholding, you become changed. And so I don't know if you have New Year's resolutions. I always break mine by the second week usually. I'm working on it. I have some. 
I'm not to the point yet where I'm looking towards 2023 for New Year's resolution yet. But I have one for you. How about seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? How about as a New Year's resolution? Every day, I choose to walk with Jesus. That when I wake up, my first thought is going to be of Jesus. And I'll commune with him. And if I somehow fail today, his mercies are renewed for the next morning. Don't start over January 1. Start over every morning. Just win one day at a time. It's called sanctification. Choose Jesus every day. And when you go to bed at night, will your last thought be of Jesus? You know, lately I've been to the point where when I wake up, I say, Jesus, may I glorify you today here at home, at work, wherever I meet. And at the end of the day, I say, Jesus, you've given me another day. I can't take it for granted. Many fell asleep in you today. I'm still alive. Thank you. Will you give me a chance to sleep through the night, to get more energy, so that I can serve you tomorrow? Man, if there's a group of people who will do that, Jesus would come. Uh, Let me close from Christ's Objects lesson. Here's some thoughts. Love must be page 49. Love must be the principle of action. Love is the underlying principle of God's government in heaven and earth, and it must be the foundation of the Christian character. Isn't that right? And then, of course, when you look at a couple more thoughts, here it is. You know this one well. Just a reminder. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own, right? And if you ever wonder what the character of Christ is like, you keep reading Christ's object's lesson and you come to page 415. And here it says this. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. There's got to be a group of people in the last day who love Jesus so much that they start becoming like him. They will love the way Jesus loves. You know, I told you there are two books in Daniel that go into Revelation 13. Daniel 3 you know that he set up an image 60 feet high by 6. There's another clue of 666. It's a Babylonian number. It's a number for Babylon and humanity. Opposite of Jerusalem, right? And God's number 7. And he ordered all to worship this image. But there were three young men who stood strong. They had options, you know. When they heard the music, they could have said, oh, look at my sandals, has dirt on it. I didn't bow. 
But when you had the vast people in that plain of Dura bowing, there were three, three, who didn't go like this, who went like this. Because they loved the Father. And I remember as a Bible worker, I, I was studying through a young lady through the book of Daniel. And I remember her sweet young lady who, uh, who uh, didn't have a good relationship with her parents, who were struggling with her identity. I do remember her. She loved hamburgers. That was the thing she loved very much. She could eat hamburgers all day. We were only in Daniel 3. We didn't get to any of those messages yet. But when we got to the part where these three stood strong for Jesus, Tears started coming to her eyes. This is the first time she's ever heard this story. She thought that these three faithful would die in the fire. And it overwhelmed her with emotion of how faithful they were to Jesus. That they would rather die than fall down and worship this image. And when we got to the point where Jesus shows up, those tears of sadness turn into tears of joy. You mean Jesus showed up and saved them? Friends, Jesus does show up for the faithful in the last days. He will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. He will be with us through the fires that we are about to go through. Choose Jesus. Walk with him. Don't let the enemy deceive you nor distract you. Let 2022 be the year that we draw closer to Jesus.